This is a sermon from John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. Jesus appearing to the disciples. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So this sermon was originally preached by Martin Luther on April 2nd, 1522, which was the Sunday after Easter that year. It was translated, I think, in the early 20th century. And I have modified it for length and for clarity. And I actually added a couple paragraphs in from a different sermon that Luther preached on the same text because there was something that he said that I thought could use further clarity. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for for the uh, insights you give us into the past, for the inspiration we can draw from it. We thank you for access to this sermon. We pray, Lord, that we can grow from it and learn how, um, how your truths are still true today as they were so many years ago. In Jesus' name, amen. Today's gospel presents to us what the life of a Christian is to be. The text consists of two parts. First, that the Lord shows his disciples his hands and feet. Secondly, that the disciples are sent as Christ is sent. This is nothing else than faith and love, the two thoughts that are preached to us in all gospel texts. Formerly you heard, and alas, it is preached in all the world, that if anyone desires to be righteousness, he must begin with human laws. This was done under the reign of the Pope, and nearly all the very best preachers preached nothing else but how one is to be outwardly pious and about good works that glitter before the world. But this is far from the true righteousness that avails before God. There is a way to become righteous, which commences by teaching us the laws of God, from which we learn to know ourselves, what we are, and how impossible it is for us to fulfill the divine commandments. The law says, You shall have one God, worship him alone, trust in him alone, and seek help and comfort from him alone. Exodus 20. The heart hears this, and yet it cannot do it. Why then does the law command such an impossible thing? In order to show us our inability and that we may learn to see ourselves as we are, as one sees himself in a mirror. When the conscience, thus struck by God's law, begins to quake and finds that it does not keep God's commandment, then the law does its proper work. But there are two classes of men who fulfill the law or who imagine they do. The first are the work saints, who, when they have heard the law, begin with outward works. That is, they desire to perform and fulfill the law by their own power. How do they proceed? They say, God has commanded you shall have one God. I surely will worship no other God. 
I will serve him and no idol. I will have no heathen idolatrous image in my house or in my church. Why would I do this? Such persons make a show with their glittering, fabricated service of God. And they think that they keep this law when they bend their knees and are able to sing and talk much about God. They imagine that they will keep the law, but they do not. The other class are those who know themselves by the law and study what it seeks and requires. For instance, when the law says, you shall have one God and worship and honor him alone, the same heart meditates, what does this mean? It is surely something other than a a bodily outward reverence. This heart perceives that it is a very different thing than is generally supposed, that it is having trust and hope in God, that he will help and assist in all anxiety and distress. in every temptation and adversity, that God will save him from sin, from death, from hell, and from the devil. And without God's help and salvation, the man alone can do nothing. And this is the meaning of having one God. A heart so thoroughly humble desires to have God, namely a heart that has been quite terrified and shaken by this commandment, and in its anxiety and trouble flees to God alone. The hypocrites and work saints who lead a fine life before the world are not able to flee to God, for their confidence is based only on their own righteousness and outward piety. Therefore, God attacks them with the law and causes the poor people to see that they have not kept the law, nay, not the least of it. When they are overwhelmed by anxiety, distress, and an evil conscience, they rush ahead and perform even more and more works and fancy that this will quiet their conscience, but they greatly miss the right way. So it comes to pass that one wishes to do it by rosaries, another by fasting, this one by prayer, and that one by torturing his body. One becomes a monk, another a nun, and they seek personal righteousness in so many ways that they can scarcely be enumerated. Why do they do this? Because they wish to save themselves, to rescue and help themselves. The consequence of this is great blasphemy to God. For they also boast mightily of these works and say, I have been in this order so long, I have prayed so many rosaries, I have fasted so much, have done this and that. God will give me heaven as a reward. This then means that they have an idol. This is also the meaning of Isaiah when he says, They bow down to the work of their hands, Isaiah 2.8. He is not speaking of stone and wood, but of external works, which have a show of goodness and beauty before men. Therefore, you will find that there is nothing good in any man of himself. But there is this distinction, that the upright, in whom the law has done its work, will feel their sickness and weakness and say, God will help me. I trust in him. I build upon him. He is my rock and hope. But the others as hypocrites and work saints. When trial, distress, and anxiety are at hand, lament and say, oh, where shall I go? They must at last despair of God, of themselves, and of their works, even if they have ever so many of them. The true and real pupils of the law, who know that they do evil, make nothing of themselves, surrender themselves, and count all their works as unclean in the eyes of God. But we must be careful that we do not despair, 
even if we still feel sinful inclinations and are not as pure as we would like to be. You will not entirely sweep out your heart all this rubbish because we are still flesh and blood. This much can be done, outward deeds, wicked deeds can be prevented, and carnal shameful words and works avoided, although this is attained only with great difficulty. But it will never come to pass here that you are free from lust and evil inclinations. Works and words can be restrained, but lusts and inclinations no one can root out of himself. In short, if you desire to attain the true righteousness that avails before God, you must surrender yourself entirely to Christ and accept him so that all that he has is yours and all that is yours becomes his. For in this way you begin to burn with divine love and become quite another person, completely born anew, and all that is in you is is converted. Then you will have as much delight in chastity as before you had pleasure in unchastity, and so forth, with all lusts and inclinations. Therefore, the world errs when it tries to make men righteous through laws. Only pretenders and hypocrites result from such efforts. But we should reverse this and say, as St. Paul says, the law produces sin. For the law does not help me in the least, except that it teaches me to know myself, and there I find nothing but sin. How then should it take sin away? We will now see how this thought is set forth in this gospel. The text says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews... What do the disciples fear? They fear death. Indeed, they were in the very midst of death. Their fear of death came from sin. For if they had not sinned, they would not have feared. Nor could death have injured them, for the the sting of death is sin. 1 Corinthians 15.56 But they, like all of us, did not yet have a true knowledge of God. If they had esteemed God as God, they would have been without fear and insecurity. As David says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. Psalm 139, 7 through 10. And as he says in another place, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Psalm 4, verse 8. It is easy to die if I believe in God, for then I fear no death. But whoever does not believe in God must fear death and can never have a joyful and secure conscience. Now God drives us to this by holding the law before us in order that through the law we may come to a knowledge of ourselves. For where there is not this knowledge, one can never be saved. If a man is sick and desires to become well, he must know that he is weak and sick. Otherwise he cannot be helped. But if one is a fool and refuses to take the remedy that will restore him to health, he will certainly die and perish. David had such knowledge when he said, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. 
For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may just be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. That's Psalm 51, 1-5. Just as if David wished to say, Behold, I am formed of flesh and blood, which of itself is sin, so I cannot but sin. For although you restrain your hands and feet or tongue, that they sin, sin not, the inclinations and lusts always remain, because flesh and blood are present. If now an upright heart that comes to the point of knowing itself is met by the law, it truly will not seek help from itself by works, but it confesses its sin and helplessness, its infirmity and sickness, and says, Lord God, I'm a sinner, a transgressor of your divine commandments. Help me, for I am lost. Now when a man is in such fear and cries out thus to God, God cannot refrain from helping him. As in this case, Christ was not long absent from the disciples, tormented by fear. He is soon present, comforts them, and says, Peace be with you. Be of good courage, it is I. Fear not. The same happens now. When we come to a knowledge of ourselves through the law and are in deep fear, God arouses us and has the gospel preached to us, by which he gives us a joyful and secure conscience. But what is this gospel? It is this, that God has sent his Son into the world to save sinners and to crush hell, overcome death, take away sin, and satisfy the law. But what must you do? Nothing. But accept this and look up to your Redeemer and firmly believe that he has done all this for your good and freely gives you all this as your own so that in the terrors of death, sin, and hell you can be confident and boldly depend upon it, saying, Although I do not fulfill the law, although sin is still present and I fear death and hell, Nevertheless, from the gospel, I know that Christ has bestowed upon me all his works. Upon this, I anchor my confidence. For I know that my Lord Christ has overcome death, sin, hell, and the devil, all for my good. All this is not effected by my works or merits, but by pure grace, goodness, and mercy. Behold, how beautiful the confidence towards God that arises in us through Christ. You may be rich or poor, sick or well, yet you will always say, God is mine. I am willing to die, for this is acceptable to my Father, and death cannot harm me. It is swallowed up in victory, as St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-seven. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, Although we must die, we have no fear of death, for its power and might are broken by Christ, our Savior. So then, you understand that the gospel is nothing but preaching and glad tidings of how Christ entered into the throes of death for us, took upon himself all our sins and abolished them, and that he has bestowed all this upon us in order that we may boldly stand upon his resurrection against sin death, Satan, and hell. Here arises great unspeakable joy, such as the disciples experience. 
the text says, Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Not a Lord who inspired them with terror or burdened them with labor and toil, but who provided for them and watched over them like a father, one who is the Lord of his estate and cares for his own. Then they rejoiced greatly when he said to them, Peace be with you, it is I. And when he had showed them his hands and feet, that is, his works, all of which were to be theirs. In the same manner, he still comes to us through the gospel, offering us peace and bestowing his works upon us. For the Lord's hands and feet really signify nothing but his works, which he has done here on earth for men. And the showing of his side is nothing but the showing of his heart, in order that we may see how kind, loving, and fatherlike his mind is toward us. All this is set forth forth for us in the gospel, as certainly and clearly as it was revealed to the disciples bodily in our text. And it is much better than that it is done through the gospel than if he now entered here by the door. For you would not know him, even if you saw him standing before you, even much less than the Jews recognized him. This is the true way to become righteous, not by human commandments, but by keeping the commandments of God. Nobody can do this except for faith, for by faith in Christ alone. From this flows love, that is the fulfillment of the law, as St. Paul says in Romans 13.10. And this results not from the exercise of virtues and good works, as was taught hitherto, which produces only martyrs of Satan and hypocrites. But faith makes us righteous, holy, chaste, humble, and so forth. For as Paul says in Romans 1, verses 16 through 17, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Thus, the first part of our gospel shows us what it is, what is to be our attitude toward God. Namely, we are to cling to Him in faith. And it shows what true righteousness is before God and how it is attained. Namely, by faith in Christ. He has redeemed us from the law, from death, sin, hell, and the devil and has freely given us all this in order that we may rely upon it in defiance of the law, sin, death, hell, and the devil. Now follows how we are to conduct ourselves towards our neighbor. This is also shown to us in the text where the Lord says, As the Father has sent me, even so am I sending you. Why did God the Father send Christ? To do the Father's will, namely to redeem the world. He was not sent to merit heaven by good works, or to become righteous thereby. He did many good works. Indeed, his whole life was nothing else than a continual doing good. But for whom did he do it? For the people who stood in need of it, for us. As the Father has sent me, he says here, even so am I sending you. My Father has sent me to fulfill the law, take the sin of the world upon myself, slay death, and overcome hell and the devil. Not for my own sake, for I am not in need of it, but for all your sakes, 
and in your behalf, in order that I may serve you, so shall you also do. By faith you will accomplish all this. Faith will make you righteous before God and save you, and likewise overcome death, sin, hell, and the devil. But this faith you are to show in love, so that all your works may be directed to this end. Not that you are trying to seek merit um, by them, for all in heaven and earth is yours beforehand, but that you serve your neighbor with them. For if you do not give forth such proofs of faith, it is certain that your faith is not right. Not that good works are commanded of us by this word. For where faith in the heart is right, there is no need to command that good works be done. They follow of themselves. So the works of love are only an evidence of the existence of faith. This also is the intent of St. Peter when he admonishes us in 2 Peter 1 verse 5 to give diligence to make our faith sure and to prove it by our good works. But good works are those we do to our neighbor in serving him and the only thing demanded of a Christian is to love. As St. Paul says in Romans 13 verse 8, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Therefore Christ says to his disciples in John 13, verses 34 through 35, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. In this way... We must give proof of ourselves before the world that everyone may see that we keep God's commandment and yet not that we would be saved or become righteous thereby. So then, I obey the civil government for I know that Christ was obedient to the government and yet he had no need to be. He did it only for our sakes. Therefore, I will also do it for Christ's sake and on behalf of my neighbor and for the reason alone that I may prove my faith by my love, and so on through all the commandments. The Gospel continues. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. We must rightly understand Christ when he says this. This does not establish the power of him who speaks, but of those who believe. Therefore, Christ's meaning is, you shall have the power to speak the word and to preach the gospel, saying, whoever believes has the remission of his sins, but whoever does not believe has no remission of sin. But you do not have the power to create faith. For there is a great difference between planting and giving the growth. As Paul says to the Corinthians, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6. Hence we have no authority to rule as lords, but to be servants and ministers who shall preach the word by means of which we incite people to believe. This power is given to all Christians, not only the Pope, bishops, priests, and monks. Christ speaks neither of priests nor monks when he says, Receive the Holy Spirit. So this power is given to whoever has the Holy Spirit, that is, to everyone that is a Christian. 
Does this mean that all Christians can baptize, preach, and administer the Lord's Supper? No. St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14.40, but all things should be done decently and in order. True, we all have this power, but no one should presume to exercise it publicly except the one who has been called by God and elected by the congregation to do so. But in private, I may freely exercise it. For For instance, if my neighbor comes and says, Friend, I am burdened in my conscience, speak the absolution to me, then I am free to do so. But, I say, it must be done privately. And thereby we serve our neighbor. For of all the ways we can serve, the greatest is to release from sin, to deliver from the devil and hell. But how is this done? Through the gospel, when I speak it to a person and tell him to take hold of the words of Christ and to believe firmly that Christ's righteousness is his own and his sins are Christ's. This, I say, is the greatest service I can render to my neighbor. Blessed is the life in which one lives not for himself but for his neighbor and serves him by teaching, by rebuke, by help, and by whatever manner and means. If my neighbor errs, I am to correct him. If he cannot immediately follow me, then I am to bear patiently with him, as Christ did with Judas, who had the purse with the money, and went wrong and stole from it. Christ knew this very well, yet he had patience with him and admonished him diligently, although it did no good. So we are to give heed to do everything on behalf of our neighbor, to be ever mindful that Christ has done all this for me. Why should I not, also for his sake, freely do all for my neighbor? And see to it that all the works you do are not directed to God, but to your neighbor. Whoever is a ruler, a prince, a judge, let him not think that he is a ruler to gain heaven thereby, or to seek his own advantage, but to serve the public. Thus, then, you have finally portrayed in this gospel these two thoughts, faith and love. Through faith we belong above to God, through love below to our neighbor. That we may thus lay hold of this truth, may God give us his help. Amen.